0: Today is July 24th, 2020. Welcome, and please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio.
1: Oh, my name is Dave Koenig, and uh, I have to think now, I thought <laughs> you, you caught me by surprise on the first question, but I think I was at Hofstra from 1992 when I first started. It was the uh, fall uh, spring semester of 1992, and uh, I technically walked in graduation in 1995, but I didn't technically graduate until 1997. That's, that's the big secret.
0: Sounds like a whole nother episode, uh, unto itself. Um, what were the, uh, shows that you hosted or worked on while you were at Hofstra radio?
1: Man, I worked on many shows. Uh, I started off doing the classics from Hofstra as most people had done at that time. That was my, uh, jumping in with both feet to announce uh Dvorak and uh Shostakovich um I also probably at the same time was doing the learn-along show with Janice Buckner running that tape on Saturday mornings and then Souvenir d'Italia I was uh, the uh, the booth engineer for that and then I went on to do the uh, Rock and Roll Oasis I did Airwave I did uh the Jazz Cafe I did a couple of the sports games and. Um, Man, I I probably did several others, and I just can't think of them off the top of my head. Oh, the the thing on anarchy—we did anarchy on uh, Sunday nights every once in a while. Everybody got to do that every once in a while, which was a lot of fun. Did you ever do anything with the morning show? Oh, (laughs) how could I forget the morning show? Wow, the uh, the the W R H U morning wake up call. uh, My senior year, I was lucky enough to do that five days a week for two hours in the morning, and that was a pretty cool deal to be able to basically run a morning show in the New York Metro market as a very young, very inexperienced and somebody, uh, who, who didn't know nearly as much as he thought he did at the time. That was a pretty good deal.
0: Can you list the titles and positions that you had at Hofstra radio?
1: I, yes. Um, I held several titles at the uh, radio station. I was a chief announcer At one point i was recruitment director i was the uh pr director i that may have been it because i was also the host of the morning show and that kind of took up a lot of time so i didn't uh hold any other positions beyond those but those were enough i think so obviously you did quite
0: a bit at wrhu in your years there but what first brought you to the station what piqued your interest And then when you first got there, do you remember the first time you walked into the office or to the studio? What did it look like? What did it smell like? Maybe who was there? What was your initial impression
1: uh, once you did get to the station? That's a great question. I started my college career at the University of Connecticut. And my first semester of college was the fall semester of 1991. That didn't work out so well. So I transferred to Hofstra thinking that I would go home, commute to Hofstra for the spring semester of 1992, and then just find another college and move away and go to that college. Turns out, I got involved in doing several things that made it very exciting to be at Hofstra at the time, and I never left. It was uh, funny how it worked out that way. The first semester I spent there, the spring of 92, I was just getting my feet wet, and i'd heard about the radio station it pumped in uh, they had that pumping through the campus during the day with the classical music and i heard people announcing and i thought hey wow that'd be kind of cool to do so let me go check that out so i went down to the radio station and this is when the radio station was in memorial in the basement and i walked into this really uh alternative looking space where you had tons of stickers all over the place and uh, just students hanging out, and I kind of, you know, sucked it up and and built up the nerve to walk in and find somebody to ask about, how do you get involved in the radio station? And my thinking was, well, I'll just open up my voice, and they're going to be like, well, let's put you on the air right now. Little did I know there was a little bit more of a process to it, so I walked in, and I believe I spoke to Renee Glicker, Who I really never met beyond that day but I knew many people who knew her so I was aware of her after the fact but I spoke to her and I think she may have been the station manager at the time and she kind of said well you know it's it's we're winding down the uh, semester and we don't really have a class right now to get you on the air but uh give us your name and number or something like that and I don't think I ever heard back and it wasn't until the following fall semester that I was able to sneak my way in and, and, and get involved. And, and I think one of the first people I ever met at the radio station was you, um, in an official capacity mm. as I was introduced to WRHU. And, uh, you, 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 uh, wrapped me in as quickly as possible, which was awesome. And, um, you know, the fact that we shared a class together actually helped a great deal because, um, I felt like I knew somebody, even though I was just learning all these new people and all these new faces and all these new names. At least I had sort of an anchor to uh, to, to to latch onto, so that I knew something about what was going on at the radio station.
0: Do you recall your first time uh, a tour or a general meeting, or is it just sort of you you, you kind of eased in a little bit by a little bit in that fall semester?
1: I think I eased in a little bit by little bit. I, you know, forced my way in just through sheer will to just at least be part of the mix, and I was thrown on the air, I think, pretty quickly. I think I was one of those few people who was brought into the radio station um, after Jeff Krause died, but before Bruce Avery became general manager, where things were just being held together through sheer will of the people who work there um, and and I was able to kind of just get myself on the air without a heck of a lot of training I maybe have done like two uh, the, the apprentice shifts with with some of the DJs there and uh, found myself on the air doing the classics from Hastra pretty quickly after that but um, the first station meeting, was one of the more intimidating things, I think, of my young life where I walked in and everybody seemed to know each other. Everybody seemed to be friends. And I was just sort of sitting in the background waiting to see how I fit in to the big scheme of things. You know, I knew I wanted to be on the air, but as far as integrating into the society of the radio station at Hofstra, that that was a uh, that was a tougher nut to crack. Do you remember anybody in particular
0: who? Uh, said, hey, try this out, or gave you particular advice or made you feel welcome uh, into the station environment.
1: At the time that I walked into the radio station, the leaders were people like you, people like Christy Jazberg, people like Kathy Walsh. I don't know if I should use her actual real name, but that was her on air name. Uh, I remember meeting Denise Hanak, um, and, and she and I connected uh, as Mets fans. And several of the other people who were there who, over time, I, I when I go into a new situation, I tend to sort of just lay back and sort of get my eye on the landscape of things. And it felt like there were so many people there who were really connected. But I think that was the nature of that radio station at the time, where people came in and you were maybe didn't fit any anywhere else. So if you didn't, you fit in at the radio station. And I think that's one of the real strengths of what that represented to me and to a lot of other people is that they found their, uh, you know, to quote, another person who uh, said this a long time ago, you, you, you found your tribe when you went to the radio station. So um,
0: you wound up on the air fairly quickly in terms of the normal process or, or as opposed to the normal process, which was uh, months and months and months. Um, do you remember anything from your training, whether it was an announcing class or engineering class that stood out or you always found useful?
1: Believe it or not, I remember just about everything I learned to this day about what to do when you go into that radio station. I also know that there are several things that I was supposed to know that I never actually did learn. <laughs> like I can, I can, I can, I can, um, uh, cue up a record, like a vinyl record, like nobody's business. But I still don't know how to do an EMS test. I'll be perfectly honest that that never quite worked out in my head how that was supposed to work. Uh, and probably if if uh the statute of limitations hadn't run down, I probably would have the FCC barking at me right now. But I do know that a lot of what I learned on a technical level, on an analog level, has helped me out a lot throughout my career, even through the shift to digital, where everything seems to be so different. It was a nice building block for other things in my life, which at the time, obviously, I didn't expect or didn't really fully appreciate. Um, Just the idea of what a pot is. And, uh, it's not what most people in college might think, um, how to properly set levels, how to, uh, turn on the transmitter. That was a big one. I remember learning how to turn on the transmitter, thinking that was an incredible amount of responsibility to hand to somebody who, uh, really didn't know anything about anything. And, um, so, I mean, that, that all stuck with me and, and, and still is with me, even though I don't know anybody who works in analog anymore. I still think what I learned was really, really valuable. Do you recall your first
0: time either engineering or announcing on the air? What was that like?
1: Man, it was the first time I actually was in control of any of it It was probably one of the more overwhelming things I ever experienced, whether as a young person or or since, because you do suddenly feel this massive sense of responsibility that when you are in that room and you are going to be broadcast to a lot of people in a fairly big market you are going to make a mistake that lots of people could possibly hear you could let people down you could take a radio station off the air you can get people mad at you and you know we had the fcc this was this was something that was controlled by the government so the potential to mess up was not lost on me and it was very 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 intimidating and even the 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 second third fourth fifth sixth seventh eighth ninth tenth time i had to go in i had to start up the transmitter in the morning on saturday morning i had to you know I, I was given keys to this thing and i was allowed to go in and turn on the transmitter and start the tape and i don't know that i ever felt 100 percent confident that i knew exactly what i was doing i just uh, sort of managed to make my way through
0: So uh, were you combo cleared initially or were you just engineering or did you announce for somebody else uh, getting on the air? I know there's different things, you know, in terms of, let's say, doing the classics from Hofstra and pronouncing Shostakovich correctly. There's that aspect of it. And (laughs) then there's the aspect of (laughs) showing up on Saturday morning and, you know, queuing up a reel-to-reel player which again Mm -hmm. in in the analog era um, and pressing play and then watching that spin for an hour before you play a live radio show in a language that you don't know. So were, were there differences? Did you, did you notice differences? Were there, was there a time lag between you feeling comfortable with either
1: or both? At the time that I started and did my first shifts it was fairly traditional for you to do the classics from Hofstra. And if you were going to do an on air shift, you needed to do a volunteer shift, helping one of uh, the programs, let's say on the weekends, some of the uh, specialty programs that were Irish music and Polish music. And I drew Italian music as well as, like you said, um, setting up the tape to play the children's show on the air. And that was a real education in how the world seems to work where if you can do the work that you're asked to do, you are able to do things that you want to do. And for me going in there, it was not as formal a process as it might be for, or might've been for other people during the Jeff Krause era. And it certainly was different during the uh, Bruce Avery era where the students were really truly and honestly running the radio station far more than almost any adult. Sue Zizza was there. She was overseeing everybody. Uh, Steve Spencer was there for a time helping to oversee everybody. But truly, most of the decisions, most of the critical things that needed to happen were being done by uh, uh, the triumvirate, that triumvirate, you and uh, Christy Jasberg and um, Kathy Walsh. And so I think you were eager to get somebody into that spot. And I don't mean that as like sort of, you were looking for a sucker. I think you were just looking for people to fill time slots that needed to be filled because in addition to all the chaos that followed Jeff Krause's death, I think there were a lot of responsibilities thrown onto the three of you. So you needed some help. So to get me into a saturday morning shift meant that you guys didn't have to cover it yourselves and you knew it was covered and you allowed me to get on the air so it was literally just a matter of you guys looking at me and saying okay you are cleared to announce that show you are cleared to engineer that show uh and thankfully i i i don't think i messed up too bad in 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 that respect so that process for me was very very informal and uh it 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 did help me learn to take things as they come and be very flexible and be very agile in what I was able to learn. Um, What was the second half of which? (laughs)
0: Um, It it was more like, uh, I I guess what you're saying there leads me into sort of a follow-up question here that, that maybe will lead us in the right direction. So you, so very quickly you're on the air, you've got responsibility, you're, you're doing things and you're figuring it out as you go along at what point do you remember was there a point or or, or a time of that year where you said i i feel pretty comfortable and now I'm picking up a, a jazz shift or an airwave shift or something when when were you like okay i'm i'm good at this i know what i want to do i am comfortable let's let's try this out as opposed to being with training wheels you know, th- th- not to sound you know negative but Those first couple of shifts, you're you're reading off a checklist. You're trying to remember your training. You're just hoping you get through, as you said before, without making people mad. Do you remember a time period or an incident or or an opportunity where you're like, "I got this. I'm on it."
1: When I stepped into the radio station, my goal was definitely to have a radio show that I was going to make my own, even if it was within the um, format that was presented to me, I was definitely eager to start a radio show that was me. When I finally had the chance to do Rock and Roll Oasis, that was my opportunity. I don't even remember when I was able to finally do that. All I knew is that when I got to the radio station, once they handed me that spot, I was not going to give it up. And I managed to find myself in position to do Wednesday nights from seven to nine, I think it was, or eight to 11 or whatever the shifts were at the time. And I said, okay, that's, that's when I'm going to do me. That's when I'm going to do what I do. And whether or not I was ready or whether or not I knew exactly what I was doing, the confidence and the eagerness and the, um, just, just the, just the drive to do this thing took over. And I said, all right, I'm doing this. And if it doesn't work, I I didn't even think about it. It doesn't work. I said, this is going to be the show and they're not going to be able to take it away from me. That was sort of my attitude going into it. So I started calling myself Bison Man, which is an old nickname of mine. And uh, I would do that spot as the Rock and Roll Oasis, but I was going to do it in a way that nobody else did. And uh, I, I decided to create, I think this was the first time I was ever on the air on the Rock and Roll Oasis was to create the uh, Amy Fisher rock opera, which was just a series of songs based on the uh the Amy Fisher story, the Joey Budafuco scandal that kind of uh passed for news back in nineteen ninety-four. So I I wrote a script, I set up all the music and and I, I just said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna make my mark here. And uh I think the feedback I got on that was what helped me realize, okay, I, I think I think I'm going to stick around here for a little while. Um, and, and that was me kind of growing into the role, I believe. Do you remember any
0: of the songs that you chose for the (laughs) rock opera?
1: Oh, there, well, my favorite one, um, and this ended up being a collaboration with Will Shelley. Um, the, I, I, I said that the, uh, I don't know how I prefaced it, but I ended up playing Jimi Hendrix's The Wind Cries Mary. And so suddenly I the door flies open in the middle of that song, and Will Shelley, every time Jimi Hendrix sang The Wind Cries Mary, he opened up the microphone and went, Joe! And that to me was like one of my favorite things that's ever happened that I've done in radio was just the collaborative effort to make that a special thing was, was really cool to me. So that was my, uh, that, 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 that was, that, that was a memorable moment for sure. (laughs) That
0: is, that is fantastic. That is, (laughs) um, were there other, uh, were there other people who were around during your rock show or any other shows that whether intentional or not, people, like you said, breezing in or, or, other shows that you listened to and you went, Oh, that's cool. I want to do that. Or I'm going to steal that. Or I want to borrow that. Or what were there other inspirations or other things that were going on at the station that, that you uh, were inspired by?
1: There were things all the time that were inspiring to me at the radio station. One of the first shows I really was aware of and paid attention to as something different was the 10 at 10, which I come to understand is a fairly common format at a lot of radio stations, but we had a guy named Joe Ramore. Am I saying my, wait, no, not Joe Ramore. Oh, Joe, what was his name? Joe Romano. Joe Romano. We, there was another guy who's named Joe Ramore. So we had a guy named Joe Romano who would do the 10 of 10 and he was a bit of a music historian. So he would add a lot of context to all of the shows that he did. He would present the songs, but also give, Historical perspective on the show. And I thought, wow, that's a lot of prep work. And he's really doing his homework. That's to me a sign that if I really want to stand out, if I really want to do this properly, I needed to do the homework also. So I would come in with ideas. I would come in with notes. I would come in with pre produced things that uh, you would help me with or others would help me with just to make sure that when somebody tuned in, they might remember something they heard that I did. Um, and then I was surrounded by people even on Wednesday nights when I did shows, uh, I ended up doing, I think shifting to nine to 11 because we had four hours of the rock raw, the the rock and roll oasis. So, uh, Jen Murphy was given the seven to nine slot and she and I developed a close friendship just based on our similar paths at the radio station. We sort of started at the same time and sort of became entrenched in it the way, um, in a similar way to each other. And uh, after that was the dead zone, which was an eye opener for me to just learn how popular the grateful dead was among people, my own age, I always thought it was sort of a hippie thing. So uh, people who are a little bit older were more dead fans, but these guys were dedicated. They brought dat tapes of shows. They would play two hour jams of one song and um, Scott Smoliv and uh, Bill Kaplan. Uh, hosted that, and th- their whole demeanor was, first of all, intimidating to me because they were very free-minded people, and also they were just really funny. So I enjoyed hearing what they did. I enjoyed seeing how they were um, crafting their show to be unique. And I thought, you know, that's another one that really stands out. And their following was huge. It was amazing that that they had such. Uh, an impact on what is a very small college radio station, but in a big market, to be able to have a show that so many people got so much out of, which was which is really cool to me. Uh, and then when I would do jazz, the Jazz Cafe, I often uh oh I oh I'm gonna I'm forgetting his name. Oh dang it, Ross. Who oh, do you do you remember his name, Ross?
0: On. Um. On the Thursday afternoon show, was it Ron Bush? No, 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 no,
1: no, 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 no. Um, oh, Ross, uh, oh, Ross the boss. He was an he was a volunteer. He wasn't a student. I don't think. You're gonna have yeah. to cut this out because I'm embarrassed. I don't remember. But okay. Um, one of one of the one of the uh, joys that I had doing the rock show was that I would follow the jazz cafe. The last shift of the jazz cafe would. Uh, segue into the first shift of the Rock and Roll Oasis. And Judy Vianney was the host on Wednesdays from, I guess, maybe five to seven of the um, Jazz Cafe. And she was just one of the nicest people who who ever lived. So being uh, uh, around her, it's just, you know, it was a breath of fresh air always. And the nice thing is I hadn't seen her for like 20 years at least, Uh, And then I did a I did a Zoom show a few weeks ago uh, as an actor and she was in the audience, which was cool. Uh, She was watching it from Florida. So uh, I got to reconnect with Judy sort of face to face a little bit for uh, just a few moments. But that was super cool. And and the fact that she was supporting um, a very uh, independent stage production slash Zoom production of a play I've done was very, very cool.
0: So you kind of answered this before, but I, I, I like to sort of finish up with this thought, because now looking back after 20 odd years, you can say, this is what this meant to me and and this is what I got out of it. But when you walked in the door as a transfer student, as, as a relatively new Hofstra student, and, and again, you said some of this before, but can you put your mind back into that place and say, what did you feel like you want to get out of this experience.
1: When I walked into WRHU for the first time, my mind was on one thing. I had sort of this career path set out for myself that I wanted to fulfill. It was based on a lot of the broadcasters slash TV people I had admired, people like David Letterman and people like Johnny Carson and others who got their start in radio transitioned to TV and became household names. And that's how I thought it would be done. And I was going to go to the radio station at Hofstra, make my mark there, get a job out of college in radio, and then eventually transition to television. And for me, that was going to be a straight path. I'd be, you know, this this would be all fulfilled the prophecy when, by the time I was 25. Uh, it didn't quite work out that way. But what I can say is that what I learned about what I learned at Hofstra and especially at WRHU was how to truly live and work and be and interact and communicate with other people. So I think I had some of my best moments in life. and I had some of my worst moments in life at WRHU. And I think all of them were valuable. And I learned how to understand other people who didn't grow up in my town because I kind of came in there as a pretty sheltered kid. And when I walked out, I felt I knew a lot more about different people than I did going into it. And that was incredibly valuable. And, you know, there are the times that I had there that I wasn't proud of where I was extremely driven, but also distracted. And, you know, I was 20 whatever years old. And pretty stupid. So I would do things that I regret going back many, many years. But I think of the things that I was able to do that I that I did enjoy, that I was able to take advantage of, going to the um, the National Association of College Broadcasters convention in Rhode Island, and being able to do the morning show every day with uh, Butch and 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 uh, <clears throat> and uh, the Hotshot Brian Scott every day for my entire senior year and hosting a lot of different radio shows and learning about new music. So that's where I finally, ultimately, was able to start rounding myself out as a person. Instead of this singularly thinking person, I suddenly learned that there's more than one path in life for all of us and that those paths are just as valid as mine and, and, and should be respected as much as mine. And if, and if somebody does not want the same things I want, it doesn't take away their interest or desire or, um, ability to enjoy the things that I was trying to do on a professional level. If they really enjoyed what they were doing, that's all that mattered. And that's what I try to carry with me moving forward throughout my life, where, I really truly try to do the things that I enjoy doing. And if it takes me off of a career path that I wasn't necessarily happy with, then so be it. You know, I think there's more to life than, than just the, the, the idea of going in and, and, and working and working and working and working and working because uh, that can make you a very dull boy.
0: Dave, I don't know if that answers great. the question.
1: <laughs> I, 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 think, I think it did. I think it did. Um,
0: okay. <laughs> it, it, you, you addressed sort of where you were at the start and consequently what you got out of it and how that shaped uh, a larger part of your life than the handful of years you were at WRHU. And that's uh, that's brilliant. That's great. It's, it's, oh, cool. it's wonderful <laughs> to be able to see the 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 start and where you were and to be aware of the change and the growth and the opportunities so um dave this was great
1: thank you very much let's do it again great for me yeah this is yeah super and 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 anytime man this is this is awesome thank you